our first text. 1 Peter chapter 2. There's a few of them, but let's, let's get you in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is of no interest to you, but let me share it with you anyways while I'm doing this. We got a new phone system years ago, and it is the most complicated thing I've ever seen in my life. We actually have save tutorials, like YouTube save tutorials on how to change things. So it is still possible that when you're calling the office, you're getting this, Pastor Sean, or Pastor Nathan, or might even be Lauren now. So if we ever get that figured out, I'm just thinking, Dave, Dave's our board chair, I'm just thinking the number one prerequisite for the next ministry support person should be fix the phone. (laughs) Just if we get the phone done, that will just take us ahead. You got yours good? Yeah. My name, but the text still yeah, it's a really complicated thing. God bless Bell Canada. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't expect a 58-year-old know, to know how to run it, but you'd think some of the youngins would, and even they struggle with that a little bit. You had First Peter chapter two. Awesome. A number of, of verses for you today. Can, can you can you put it back to the first one, please? Yeah, come on. Like that's the best slide I got. We are living stones, not the rolling stones. For all of us 50 and over, you said? Amen. For the 18 and 19-year-olds, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, explain to them who Mick Jagger is, and we'll... uh... My goodness, they're old-looking, eh? They uh, lived a little. Just putting it mildly. Yeah. It's church, I'm putting it mildly. (laughs) Living stones. In the last two to three weeks, we've been sharing with you, you know, a little bit of information about the building program, right? The proposed building program about potential addition and renovation. I know for many of you, you don't have a lot of those details yet. You're not exactly sure what we're talking about. That will be explained to you in the next couple of weeks. But at the same time, I also want to explain to you and remind you that as much as the building is important to us as a facility in which to do ministry and to launch ministry, I want to remind you that you, you are significant to God. And what God is doing in you and not just the building is probably what matters the most. And when I say probably, I mean it is what matters the most. When Jesus said in Matthew 16 that he would build his church and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it, you and I know that he wasn't talking about brick and mortar, that he was talking about individuals, people who would be placed into the body of Christ after confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior and being born again by that same Spirit, a new creature in Christ, as the Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthian church. I reminded you last week that you are God's handiwork, that you are God's craftsmanship, and that in Ephesians 2, he's not talking about the physical creation that you are God's handiwork, although that's true. In Ephesians 2, he's talking about the spiritual handiwork, that we were dead in trespasses and sin, but we have been made alive in Christ. We've been placed into this body. We are his church. We are his handiwork. And he has created us to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. 
God had a plan all along when he saved us. That there were certain things we were supposed to do. So in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 22 in my first sermon, I reminded you that he's building his church across the globe. I reminded you last week that all of us as members of the body of Christ are his special handiwork, his craftsmanship. And we have jobs to do. That God, when he was thinking about the salvation of people, that part of that was predestined that we would do the work that he has called us to do. But today I want to expand on that and speak a little bit more specifically about what your purpose is from several texts. Now, normally I don't do several texts. I try to stick to one, but these cross-reference one another, and I think it's important that we deal with, with all of them, at least in some detail this morning. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And then I'm going to surprise you a little bit later with another text from 1 Samuel. So let's look at these. When we're speaking about God building his church, and specifically you and I as individuals in the body of Christ, what is he up to? 1 Peter 2 verse 4. The apostle says this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, remember that, eh? You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. You were doing that already. The fruit of lips that openly confess or profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And then in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and spiritual or acceptable or proper worship. Let me explain a little bit about the understanding of living stones. Because when you look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, and you see that it refers to Jesus as the living stone, and you and I as living stones... The symbolism or the metaphor may be, may be lost on you. So let me explain this to you as best I think I can. Back under the old covenant in the days of Israel, Israel had a tabernacle at first under Moses. And they were given all of these detailed instructions on how to put a tabernacle together so that Israel could properly worship. And you can read about that in the, the earliest books of our Bible. Eventually, David draws up the plan. King David draws up the plans to build the temple. And he hands that off to his son Solomon, and Solomon builds the temple. And we're told that it's a beautiful, beautiful temple. After a few hundred years of rebellion, eventually Israel is, is destroyed as a nation, and over a period of time, their temple is destroyed. 
It's rebuilt again, and then for a number of years, even though it's a shadow of what it used to be, it, it functions, the second temple functions as their meeting place. And then we know from this side of history that in 70 AD, it is once again destroyed by the Romans. It is unlikely at the time of Peter's writing, unlikely, that the temple of Jesus' day has been destroyed. It's probably still there. It's probably not long and it will be destroyed, but it's probably still there in around the time of Peter's writings. And the Jewish people, the people of Israel, loved and adored their temple. It was the center of, of everything. It was their worship place. It was their meeting place. It was the physical symbol in so many ways of what it meant to be a Jew. And so the temple was the focus of all things. And people were called back from the nation of Israel three times a year for festivals, for certain religious festivals that they were supposed to participate in. And so there was always this drawing back to Jerusalem and to the temple and to the worship and to the sacrificial system. And so they, they revered the temple. They revered the stones on which made the temple. When Jesus was teaching during his days here and he referred to the, the temple being destroyed, not one stone left upon the other, I tell you, it caused a ruckus amongst the people of Israel because they could not believe that their temple perhaps would be destroyed again. The stones that were laid whether it was the first temple under Solomon, whether it was the rebuilt temple, the second temple, or the one that Herod had constructed, the stones, the building, the edifice was everything. But they were just stones. Jesus looks at us now as temples of the Holy Spirit, and he refers to you and I as living stones. We are the body of Christ. We are the living stones that God is putting together, not to erect a physical temple, but to erect a spiritual temple. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and those that are saved are placed in the body of Christ. We are, we are one in Him. We are placed in Him. And you and I are now called living stones, with Jesus being the living stone. And as I referred to him a couple of weeks ago from Ephesians chapter 2, the chief or the cornerstone, the capstone. And so this is what he's talking about here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, when he's referring to us as living stones, that we are living organisms in the body of Christ. It's not the brick and mortar. It's not the stuff. It's us. And this is what he says that we are supposed to do. What's the purpose of these living stones? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says the first thing is that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. In Hebrews 13, 15 to 16, he talks about the sacrifice of praise. And then in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he talks about your life being dedicated to becoming a living sacrifice. So, we're called to do good works, but I only spoke about those good works for about one minute last week. 
And so today I want to shift the emphasis and let's try to understand what our purpose is, not just as it relates to other people, to doing good deeds, but more importantly, as it represents our relationship to the Lord. Let me explain this in a little more detail for you. Same book that I read from at uh, the beginning, 1 Peter chapter 2, but let's work down a little bit to verse 9. This is what God says to the people of God at that time and to us today. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. These very similar and familiar words were said to the people of Israel thousands of years ago when God was beginning to form the nation through the life of Abraham and Sarah. He referred to Israel in almost those same terms, those same words. Now, as we understand that the two are made one in the body of Christ, as Ephesians 2 tells us, that there were one people of God to all who confess the Lord, we are called this chosen people, a royal priesthood, part of a holy nation. We are all God's special possession, not just handiwork, but for what purpose? It tells us here that we are to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. As Pastor Adam said during the worship service, that we all have a story to tell. In our own way, with making Jesus the center of it all, not making the story about ourselves, but making the story of what God has done in me, we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, that we offer spiritual sacrifices. Well, how do we understand that today under the new covenant in our day and age? If you're familiar at all with the, the Old Testament part of our Bible, the first two-thirds, and specifically the Old Covenant, you know that there was a high priest. There was one guy that would serve as high priest, and he would instruct and direct the worship of God through the people of Israel. There were other priests, there were Levites, there were others who ministered, but basically these guys, and specifically the high priest, would, would determine how God should be worshipped uh, through the tabernacle and eventually through the temple. And the high priest got to do all the fun stuff, if you thought this was fun, going into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and, and offering the sacrificial blood. And of course, the other animal sacrifices and some of the agricultural sacrifices that were taking place and the ritual washings. There was all kinds of things that went on either at the tabernacle during the times of Moses or during the times of Solomon at the temple. It was a busy, messy, noisy place. And everybody understood what was going on. Individuals in the nation of Israel would bring their sacrifices, whether it was an animal or it was something from the field, in order to offer praise to God and thanksgiving to God. There would be sin offerings and there would be guilt offerings and there would be free will offerings and many times goats and, and bulls and sheep. There would be other kinds of grain offerings of, of giving thanks and those kinds of things for the festival times that were taking place. Everybody understood what it meant to bring an offering. 
You and I even understand that a little bit in our church when we have an offering time. We bring our tithes and our offerings. We present something to God. But it's, it's usually something we have, right? It's, it's, it's an animal that, by the way, is killed. It, it, it's the, the fruit or the first of our fields. Or in our churches, we offer our tithes and our offerings. We offer our financial gifts to the Lord. But when Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 2 and 5, and what is God doing, and what does it mean to be a Christ follower, and, and what is God calling his church to do when God is building his church, he says the first thing we're to do is offer spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices. It doesn't mean that the, the bringing of tithes and offerings is unimportant. It doesn't mean that doing something for God, good works, is unimportant. But it takes, it takes the emphasis off of something we have and personalizes it more, and it's something we do. Whether it's verbally, or it's spiritually, or it's in our heads, or in it's on our hearts, or sometimes it's through our hands. We offer spiritual sacrifices. Hebrews 13, 15, 16 tells us a little bit more about, well, what does that mean exactly, a spiritual sacrifice? And there in Hebrews 13, it tells us that Christ followers, we offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. And so it's not just about bringing a sheep or a bull or a couple of doves or, or, or a, a basket of grain to an Old Testament high priest who burns them up or offers them to God, but we offer something from within ourselves. And in Hebrews 13, it tells us that as the church of God being built to be a holy community for God, we bring the sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving. We just simply say, thanks to God. We praise God for who He is and what He's done for us. That your and I responsibility to offer spiritual sacrifices moves to the realm of giving God our best in praise. But it's also important for you to understand that that's not just on Sunday, because that's what happens sometimes, right? We think, well, you know what? I offer spiritual sacrifices, and I offer the sacrifice of praise. That's what I do on Sunday. I go to church, and I offer that. We have a worship leader, and we have a worship team, and we sing songs, and we pray, and we praise. And for 30 or 40 or 45 minutes, we do that, and we say, okay, God, there's my 1 Peter 2, 5. There's my, my Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. And it's true, that's part of it. What we do in here is very meaningful as living stones in the body of Christ. But you can't stop there. So then let's go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. We are now the priests of God, much more significant than the Old Testament or the Old Covenant high priest. We continue to minister at an altar. We continue to offer sacrifices, now sacrifices of praise. We have a throne of grace. We have a new high priest who is Jesus Christ. And what we are doing now is putting our focus on the Lord. It's not on an individual that wears a white robe, it, but it's on Jesus who clothes us with white, with clean linen because of his righteousness. And now we offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. And 
sacrifices of praise. But we go beyond church services. We go on beyond what is verbal. We go beyond even just what's in our heads and in our hearts. And we go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And what does it tell us there? It tells us that our life is to be a living sacrifice. Our life. Not just an hour and a half called Sunday morning. Not just a Bible study night or a small group evening. But we offer our lives. You are to present yourself as a living sacrifice. So this takes us beyond the realm of church services or spiritual gatherings and reminds us that every day, every moment of every day, every week of the year, your life and my life is to be a living sacrifice to God. Now, you might ask yourself, what does that mean? Well, let's contrast it with the Old Covenant. What do we know about Old Covenant sacrifices when they went to the Old Testament high priest? They were dead. God's not asking you to be a dead sacrifice. God's asking you to be a living sacrifice. When animals were selected for sacrifice under the Old Covenant, nobody ever went up to them and said, how do you feel about this? You can pretty much be sure how they would have felt about that. This is a bad idea. I'm sure there's somebody in the next pen that would be a way better offering than me, right? And so animals were chosen and they were slaughtered and the blood was presented or the meat or the fat was presented as different kinds of offerings under the old covenant. Thankfully, under the new covenant, God is not asking our, us to kill ourselves for him. And they all said? Amen. But he's asking you to be a living sacrifice. So, the first word, living, that's good. The Bible reminds us in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, that we're, and 6, we're living stones. We're to be living, we're to be alive, we're spiritual beings, we're a new creature in Christ. At one time, we were dead in trespasses and sins. But now we've been made alive in Christ and we are living stones and God is building his church and we are grateful for that. And now God says there are things you to do, offering spiritual sacrifices, explaining that with the, the sacrifice of praise. But it goes beyond those kinds of things, even the important things that happen in our gatherings, to understanding that your life is his and every day it's supposed to be a living sacrifice. In other words, it's supposed to be given over to him. That's what the sacrifice word means. It means it's given over. It's given over to him. The sacrifice was given to the high priest who offered it unto the Lord. You and I now as followers of Christ, we give ourselves to the Lord. We give ourselves to the Lord freely. We are a living sacrifice and we say, here I am, God. Use me for your purposes. That was the emphasis from last week, that God has prepared good works for us in advance for us to do. We are living sacrifices in order to bring glory to God, in order to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then, hey God, what else is it that you want me to do? Whether it's during the gathering, it's on a missions trip, it's in my school, it's in my workplace, it's in my home, it's in my neighborhood. 
What do you want me to do? I'm a living sacrifice. Sacrifice also means this, that it's dedicated. The old covenant sacrifices were dedicated to God. We are now as living sacrifices under the new covenant. We are dedicated for God. We belong to him. It's not on the notes, but remember this in 1 Corinthians 6. The Bible reminds us that we're not our own, that we were bought at a price, the precious blood of a lamb, and we belong to who? God. This is a concept that I think is hard for us to grasp as adults. We think we belong to ourselves. If you've got a small kid with you today, you've got a child or a grandchild with you, right? They belong to you. They're yours. You brought them. Make sure you bring them home, right? <laughs> you came in a car and it belongs to Bank. Uh, I hope not your. Uh, okay, so belongs to you and Jen's credit union. Amen. Pays Jen's salary. Amen. Let's jack that interest. We we understand. I was going to build to the house, and then you and the mortgage company, but. We'll just stop there. We understand that something belongs to us. You need to understand you belong to God. I don't care how old you are, how smart you are, how wonderful you are, how gifted you are, how rich you are, how poor you are. You are not your own. If you're a Christ follower, the Bible says you're bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lamb, and because of that, because He purchased your redemption, He purchased your salvation, you and I belong to Him. It's great you got a spouse. It's great you got kids. It's great you got grandkids. That's great. All those relationships, hey, they're great. Love them. But you belong to God. In other words, God calls the shots. This is why Paul says to us, you are a living sacrifice every day. You should be thinking about how can I serve God? Wherever it is, whatever I'm doing, how can I serve God? Why? Because I belong to him. I'm not in charge of my own life. I surrendered that the day I gave my heart to Christ. Now, if you didn't realize that, I'm sorry, but I'm notifying you now. Jesus isn't just Savior, He's Lord. So you and I are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Just so you know, God wants us alive. Old covenant sacrifices were noticeably dead. They were an offering from the giver. And the sacrifice didn't get any say in it. New covenant sacrifices generally don't have four legs. Feathers are come in a basket. New covenant sacrifices are alive, generally stand erect, and have two legs, and we call them people. But not just anyone. They are Christ followers. We may offer sacrifices. We may offer things to God. We are his priests, but we ourselves are the offering, the sacrifice. You're both priest and sacrifice. The Bible says in Romans 12 and 1 that you are to offer yourself to God continually. Not when I feel like it, not when it's church, not when there's a special emphasis. 
The Bible says that you are a living sacrifice. You are a living stone. And that you are supposed to be holy and pleasing to God. Now in Christ you are. But we're to live that out. So we are to offer ourselves continually to God. We are a living sacrifice. And the sacrifice is supposed to have quality. That the quality matters. Under the old covenant... The, under the old covenant, the, 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 those that offered the sacrifices were forbidden to give anything but their best. So if you were somebody that had sheep or goats or whatever, and you, it was, uh, you know, uh, one of the festivals were coming up, maybe Day of Atonement or something. I don't know, probably not Day of Atonement. But the Passover and you were getting ready to offer sacrifice, you couldn't look through your flock and see, well, which one's the scrawniest one? You know, which one's got an eyeball falling out of its head? Which one looks all beat up? You know, I'll give that to God because I want to keep the good ones for breeding and I want to keep the good ones for my own meat. They were forbidden to bring any sacrifice that had a defect. It was your best or it was nothing. And so this living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God, means this. We are the sacrifice and we are to be at our best you can't really offer the sacrifice of praise the fruit of our lips you can't really offer the spiritual sacrifices well if you and I are not at our best the vessel matters not just what happens in the vessel so the Bible refers to this as being our true and proper worship so you ask yourself the question, are you giving God your best? Are you the best you, you can be for God? So we understand this. We are all part of the body of Christ when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Jew and Gentile. Ephesians 2 tells us that. That is the church that he is building, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, according to Matthew 16. We understand that he has prepared good works in advance for us to do. And because of that, we are uniquely his spiritual craftsmanship, his handiwork in order to do the work of God. And as that handiwork, we understand that the first and best thing we can do is offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. It isn't just about all of the good works, but offering ourselves to God in a way that we offer those spiritual sacrifices in a manner that is pleasing to Him. Are you with me? That's what you're supposed to be doing as the church. So, now that I've done all that, let me completely mess you up. Go to 1 Samuel 15. So I'm working on this last week and I'm doing all the new covenant work and I'm thinking about sacrifice and then this thought occurred to me. Ha! Don't read your Bible, it's dangerous. God will put things in your heart because of stuff you've read before, right? So, careful. Now, after speaking about being your best sacrifice for God, being holy and pure, praising God, being a good priest, being alive and not dead, and they all said, I want to add one more thought. This is an important thought. And if I do this well, it won't contradict what I just said. But if I didn't do it well, let me apologize ahead of time, okay? This is supposed to add emphasis 
to what a holy and pleasing sacrifice does. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. I got to set up the background for you because maybe not everybody knows this. Back before, well, I guess back before King David, when, when Israel had its first king, and he wasn't necessarily a great king. His name was Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was chosen by God through the prophet. And Saul was this this impressive physical man. The Bible tells us back in 1 Samuel that he was a head taller than everybody else. But it also tells us that he was like shy. And when they were trying to present him as king, they had to go find him in the baggage. And they finally bring him out and they, they show off Saul, who's their new king now, and he's a head taller than everybody else. And everybody is really impressed with this guy. But at first, he's kind of shy and bashful. It doesn't take him very long where he gets a big head and he starts making decisions for himself and he even builds a statue to himself. And he's supposed to go out and conquer this pagan army and destroy everything in that army. And when the Bible says destroy, it it means that Saul's men were to kill every man, woman, and child, every living creature that was attached to it. They were to completely annihilate them because they would have been in opposition to God, in opposition to Israel. They would have been a problem to them with pagan worship. So God says, you got to wipe them completely out. And so Israel wages war against them, and they win. And they do most of what God asks. Now pay attention to this. They do most of what God asks. For those of you that like the 90% thing with God, I do most of what He asks. I don't do everything but I do most. Let me just show you how far most gets. So he's supposed to wipe them all out, and Samuel, the the prophet, comes a little bit late to the party, and he hears the bleeding of sheep, and he realizes that Saul has left the king of this army alive, you know, I don't know, to show him off or whatever, and Samuel walks up to him, and he says this in verse 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as much as in obeying the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. This was King Saul's argument. I left the sheep so I could put on this really big sacrifice for God and just worship God with all of the animal sacrifices. We're not sure what he was going to do with the king, if he was going to sacrifice him or, or demonstrate some wonderful act of mercy, we don't know. We're not really told about that. But he basically says to the prophet Samuel, I, I left all of this alive so that we could worship God and, and let God know how much you know, uh, we love him and that we're happy to serve him and all of those kinds of things. I think, as a matter of fact, really, they kept the stuff because they were going to keep the stuff and it was going to you know, help them with their own personal wealth. But Samuel calls him on it and says this, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? The answer is yes, there is a sacrificial system in place in Israel at appropriate times and places with appropriate sacrifices supposed to do that. The answer is yes, but there is a more prominent principle here. What we do for God isn't as important as obeying the voice of God. And you cannot... You cannot do this. Well, you know what? I don't always obey God, but I do a lot of things for God. 
or I do a lot of things for the church, or I help a lot of people, or I give a lot of stuff away. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? The answer is emphatically no. This is what's important for you and I as living sacrifices, as living stones. Folks, this is what God wants you to do. Take this home. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. You want to be this living stone, these living stones that are offering spiritual sacrifices, the sacrifice of praise, offering your life as a living sacrifice continually to the Lord. If you want to do that well, it's not just through sacrificial giving. It's not through sacrificial attendance. It's not just through putting others first and yourself last. It's not just by doing a whole bunch of good works and then off in the corner disobeying or sinning in some time and then telling yourself, well, that's okay because I do so much for God. Or that I can do all kinds of things for God, but it's okay if I'm in wrong relationships with people because I sacrifice a lot for God. And so God will put up with that, with the relationship issues that I have, and I don't need to address them because I do so many other things well. Or that I give so much money to church and to missions that I give way more, you know, proportionally than anybody else. And, and I'm the mo one of the most significant givers here. So I can use that as, you know, kind of uh, some kind of collateral with God that I don't always have to line up with other things because what would they do without me? To obey is better than sacrifice. Folks, you may have five cents to give in the offering plate. On your gift scale, you may think you're a, you're a, a one out of ten. But if you obey the Lord every day, all the time, He is so pleased with you. It's the heart thing that's always the most important thing. Now, if the heart's lined up, all the rest of the stuff will get lined up. But if you say, I'm going to put an emphasis on the stuff and the doing and the giving and all of that, and from time to time I will choose to disobey as it suits me because I got more than enough to make up for it, God says no. So Samuel has the pagan king killed, and all of the rest of the animals are sacrificed and offered to the Lord as they should be. And this is one of the final stages in King Saul's life where the throne is removed from him because he does not obey. Living stones, living sacrifices, walk in obedience to the Lord. Let's stand and pray.